Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. If you could please find your seats. We're getting started. This morning we have a guest speaker, so I don't know if that was mentioned this, this morning earlier, but we have a guest speaker from a Harvest Church um, in, you might know it as Whitestone or Petrolia or Chikora. Um Fred Neal is the campus pastor at Harvest's campus in all those locations, depending on how long you've been in the church. You may remember we um, used to go over to that area, and we have... Um, Joe and Jamie Queen came from that, that area, that campus as well, um, before Harvest got there. Uh, I asked Fred to speak on a difficult subject today because I had listened to a message he preached about four years ago, and he did such an effective job of communicating God's love, God's grace, God's holiness, and so I wanted you all to hear from him directly. So can we welcome Fred this morning? Good morning. Everybody doing okay? All right. Good, good. Glad to hear that. Uh, well, your influence as a church over the church that Joe just mentioned, which was uh, once called Whitestone Christian Fellowship and now is a campus of Harvest Community Church, um, has been uh, a seed well planted, I think. Uh, whether you know it or not, and some of you might be familiar with the circumstances, Whitestone Christian Fellowship was in a difficult place. Uh, having uh, lost a pastor and kind of going through a season of decline, uh, this church stepped in and began to come alongside of that church and lead them through what was a very difficult season. And your influence and your impact on some of the folks who were involved in that church at the time uh, was, was very, very good influence. That church did end up closing, so it wasn't that great of influence. <laughs> just no, I'm just kidding. I truly believe that was the Lord's will. Um, and that church building was sold to Harvest Community Church. We had been praying about the opportunity to become a multi-site church. And there were three elders who were left in charge of liquidating the assets of Whitestone Christian Fellowship. Uh, Eric Grubbs, who I'm sure many of you know, Dave Strait, and Kevin Giddings. And um, Kevin Giddings is actually on staff at Harvest Community Church now at our Kikani campus. And Dave Strait is still involved uh, at the church there in the Shakura area. So... I'm very grateful that um, that is where I've been serving for the past eight to nine years since we uh, started that campus there. I'm very grateful for the influence of this church right here over the folks of that congregation, many of whom are still with us and a part of the congregation today. Well, I do have a difficult topic that I get to speak about today. This is a message on the sanctity of human life, and I feel honestly quite overwhelmed with the responsibility to talk about something so important. And I've kind of boiled my objectives down today to these two goals. And they're very different goals one from another. The first is to encourage conviction that abortion is an appalling offense against both God and man and that we as Christians should stand against it. That is my first goal. The second goal is to point us to the gospel, which tells us that we all need God's mercy. And for that very reason, Jesus came to save us. And I got to tell you, the first one's easier for me than the second, 
because as I speak about this topic, I'm aware of the impact that abortion has had on many folks in this room. And so I'm, I'm anxious to get to point number two, to goal number two. I'm anxious to get to the point where we talk about grace and about how the gospel is, is going to wash mercy over us, particularly those of us who have participated in one way or another in the act of abortion. But I think we first have to establish some solid groundwork for the church to stand on. This is a subject that we cannot afford to be silent on. And so today, this what we call Sanctity of Life Sunday, this was actually a tradition established by President Ronald Reagan in 1984 as a peaceful protest. A peaceful protest against the 1973 ruling that made abortion legal in this country. It's important that we participate in this peaceful protest today since, as we've heard already, since, since that time when abortion was made illegal in the United States, over 60 million babies have been aborted in this country. So we need to start with answering the question of what is so unique or special about human beings. Is there anything different about the human race that makes this more important than, say, the lives of animals or the lives of trees? What is so unique about human beings? And so my first point that I want to support from Scripture today is that human life is unique among all of creation because God created us in His image and placed us over the animals and the plants. Human life is unique among all of creation. That is surprisingly controversial today. But human life is unique among all creation, first and foremost, because God created us in His image. This is a difficult point to prove outside of Scripture. But we as Christians who accept Scripture as our final authority over life, find it very easy to go to the Bible and see that God has made human beings unique. He did something when He created Adam and Eve that He didn't do at any point in creation before that. We're going to read about it in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in it and its fruit. And you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, and everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. 
human life is unique among all creation because God created human beings in his own image. He chose the human race to be the image bearers of his very self. That makes us unique. Now, he also appoints us as stewards over creation. And that's an important point to note. But for our topic today, I just want to emphasize the the point that human life is unique because God created us in His image. It was His decision to make human beings different, and not just different, but after His own likeness. The next question then, so when does human life begin? Boy, that's an important question to ask. When does human life begin? Does the Bible tell us? Is it at conception? Is it at birth? Is it when that that baby takes its first breath outside of the womb? Or is it perhaps somewhere in between the two? I gave this question a lot of thought in recent years. I wanted to know... I wanted to know the truth. I didn't just want to... I didn't want to just follow a particular agenda... Or, or just believe what somebody else told me. I, I just wanted to know, what does the Bible say? What, when does God say life begins? And the conclusion that I have come to, and I will support this with Scripture as best I can this morning, the conclusion I've come to is that life begins in the womb and should not be terminated at any stage of a pregnancy. I think that God and science, and even common sense work together to teach us that human life begins in the womb. I think that human sin is the reason we've come up with so many excuses and so many different views about the beginning of human life. We want a way out. We want a way out of responsibility. We want a way out of difficult circumstances. Many pregnancies come through difficult circumstances. And I can understand and relate to that desire to want out of that difficult situation. Nonetheless, we must stand on this conviction that life begins in the womb and should not be terminated at any stage of a pregnancy. Our culture has completely redefined pregnancy and completely redefined human life as a way to get away with human truth remains, and abortion is the slaughtering of defenseless children inside the womb of their mothers. What does the Bible say about life in the womb? Let's look at some important scriptures together this morning. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. It might be helpful to go back and reference them later. But let's read them together. Exodus chapter 21, starting in verse 22. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. This is an interesting place to go. I understand that we're looking at Old Testament uh, Mosaic Law. And I'm not suggesting that we follow Mosaic Law today, I'm, I, but I want to introduce to you where the Bible starts 
in reference to the value of life inside the womb. When a woman is pregnant, Exodus 21 tells us, and, and something happens and she, she gets into some sort of scuffle with a man, and a man does harm to that child inside the womb, he shall be harmed in the same way that he has harmed that child. That was the Old Testament law given to the nation of Israel. In fact, it says in verse 23, he shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And under Old Testament law, murder is a capital offense. That means it's punishable by death. If you kill somebody, then your life as retribution must be taken from you. The same punishment for harming a human being outside of the womb is applied to harm done to a human being still in the womb. That's the important thing to notice here. The same punishment that that would come if you harmed somebody outside of the womb, somebody who's already been born, is applied to somebody who delivers harm to a child inside the womb. That's what I want you to notice here. It seems to go without question that God's view of that unborn baby is that he or she is a human being created in the image of God and worthy of the same protection that is given to human beings outside of the womb. It is a human being in the womb just the same as a human being outside of the womb. Let me keep going. I want to show you several places from Scripture. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The psalmist here is painting a picture of a God who knew him before he was even born. God knew him in the womb. God had a plan for him in the womb. And God viewed him as a person. Life after birth occurs is merely a continuation of the life that existed inside the womb. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was even born, God not only knew him, but he had even called him to a specific ministry as a prophet to the nations. God had a plan for his life even before he was born. God knew him as a human being, as a man, even before he was born. Again, we see that God affirms that life after birth is a continuation of the life that began prior to birth. Genesis 25, verses 21 through 24. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations... Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. 
The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. In Genesis 25, God sees these two babies not only as human beings, but as eventual nations. Let's just consider the significance of that. It's not, when, when a child is aborted, it is not just one life is affected. It is all of the potential descendants and all of the potential children of God that would come from that one life. God sees these twins not just as two boys, but as two nations, as large groups of people from whom will come many descendants. Not only are they alive, they are destined to multiply and become nations on this earth. Again, no distinction between the babies in the womb and the men, even the nations that they were to become later in life. I'm, I'm trying to develop a, a consistent uh, a view here that throughout scriptures, God is showing us that He views life in the womb exactly the same as He views life outside of the womb after birth. Luke 1. One more scripture I want to show you on this point. Luke 1, verse 39 through 44. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Listen to what happens. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And the sound of your greeting came to my ears. The baby in my womb leaped with joy. In Luke 1, there's at least two things significant here. One, the in utero John the Baptist, that's who we're talking about here, Elizabeth's child in her womb. The in utero John the Baptist is called a baby, which in the original language is the same word that is used to describe children after they are born. There's no need for using a different word like today. There's nothing wrong with the word fetus other than often the term fetus is used to somehow dehumanize what is actually a human being inside the womb. And, and here we have in the original language, they use the same word that they would use for John the Baptist after his birth and all throughout his childhood. He is viewed as a child. Secondly, the baby in the womb responds to That is a uniquely human thing. This is a living child. And I would say, to summarize all that up, these two things, everything else we've looked at, affirm this statement here. In Scripture, God always refers to and treats unborn babies as human beings entitled to the same protection as those who have already been born. So I just want to, my point in saying all that is just to, just to bring some clarity to this issue. Maybe some, maybe some of us haven't come to strong convictions yet on this issue, and, and we wonder, well, does it really matter if, if an unborn child is aborted? Is it really that big of a deal? And I want to say with clarity today that all throughout Scripture, there is great consistency in how God views unborn babies. Them is always that they are human beings. The life they live outside of the womb is merely the continuation of the life that they live inside the womb. 
Therefore, they are human beings created in the image of God who deserve the same protection as those of us who walk around outside of that. That, I hope, is becoming clear for you, and I would encourage you. Hopefully you wrote those, those passages down. Perhaps you'll look up some others. I would encourage you to come to a strong conviction about that. I think that's incredibly important for us as believers. It's incredibly important for us as Christians to have a strong conviction about the value of life inside the womb and to know what the Bible says, to know how God views this life. He never makes a distinction between unborn babies and the born. He treats them exactly the same. And Scripture paints a picture of God being intimately involved in the formation of that child. These bodies that we have that were formed in the womb were created by God to bear His image. Unborn babies are human beings. That is God. Now, is there some mystery around this subject? Of course. The inception of human life is, is, is it's unbelievable. We can't even, we can't even begin. I don't, I don't think that we'll ever, even with scientific advances, be able to explain the beginning of human life in a way that satisfies the human curiosity about our existence. It's just beyond our ability to comprehend. And so is there some mystery involved and when exactly does does that does, does that body become human and all of that stuff are there some some things that we don't quite understand yes but at the moment there is a pregnancy there is a human being that deserves to be and that child should be aborted at no point in the first instance that human life must be defended Our culture, unfortunately, has an opposite view of this issue, and has that has led to one of the most horrendous and despicable acts of evil ever carried out by mankind. What we simply call abortion. Let me remind you of some statistics we heard earlier. Every year in America, there are over one million legal abortions. That's over three thousand a day. That's more if you took all of the people who died every year by cancer, car accidents, and gun violence combined. This is more than double the number of people killed by those three things, which by the way are the other leading causes of death. We're killing more babies through abortion than everything else. Worldwide, it gets much worse. Worldwide, there's somewhere around 40 million babies aborted every year. 40 million babies aborted. To put this in perspective, Hitler was responsible for the death of somewhere around 10 million babies. Take the whole war and Holocaust and war, somewhere around 10 million. Seventy years later, we still, with, without reservation, refer to Hitler as the most evil man in modern history. The reality is that through abortion, we're killing more babies every year, every year, 
than he ever dreamed of killing during the Holocaust. More than four times the number of people that died during the Holocaust and World War II every year for the past 70 years we've been doing that. Every single year since the Holocaust, more children have been killed inside the room worldwide than Hitler ever did. Do you understand the gravity of that? You might remember a couple of years ago the tragedy at Sandy Hook Elementary School and more around 20 children were slaughtered. When a madman walked in with guns and just started shooting children, I, I hope you remember how horrified we were. I mean, it, it just it just shook our nation to the core to think that we live in a society where somebody would just senselessly murder 20 children. And that was the right response. That was the right thing to do, to be upset and to be angry and to, be, to grieve over those children. But to put that in perspective, every year since Sandy Hook, America has continued to abort one million children. We see the inconsistency and the absurdity of abortion. The Bible tells us it's wrong. Common sense tells us it's wrong. Yet the problem is, is that we as mankind are sinful. Ultimately, the problem comes back to our own sinfulness. We continue to call this a woman's right. We continue to call this a medical procedure. Man defends abortion and calls it a choice, but God condemns it and calls it sin. It's not a woman's right to kill her child. It's not a medical procedure. It's murder. This is a serious sin before a holy and righteous God. And in His justice system, He demands a life for a life. This is where the gospel comes in. This is where the good news of Jesus becomes really important to us as believers. Because here's what I, I want to be very clear about. When I say God demands a life for life, I'm not advocating that we through vigilante justice take matters into our own hands and punish those who have participated in abortion. I, what, I want to, I, what I want to advocate instead is that God has already satisfied his need for justice on the cross of Jesus Christ. He has paid a life for a life. He has, he has offered mercy and forgiveness to all sinners everywhere, regardless of what their sin is, by sending His Son Jesus to die in our place. But yet this is a problem in our culture, and the reality is we know this isn't just a problem out there problem in here. The lies and deception that surround abortion have crept into our own lives. That's why I think it's important to, to, to bring some clarity to what we really should be standing for is because we are susceptible to lies and deceptions even as believers. Many of us have participated in one way or another in the abhorrent act of abortion. And I'm not just speaking to ladies. Guys, some of us have been apathetic 
Some of us have seen this as not a big deal. Some of us have, have seen this as something we shouldn't be too concerned about. We don't want to become one-issue folks, right? Some of us have done too much. Some of us have encouraged. Some of us have supported. Some of us have demanded that the women close to us have abortions. And so how do we respond? What do we do? Where do we go from here? Let me give you some real practical applications before we get into the real, the real serious piece here, which is the matter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're convinced that human life inside the womb is important and needs to be defended, then what do you do? Well, first of all, you fight for life. You just, and that starts with valuing inside your own minds human life. All human life. Do you realize that, that there are tests being offered to pregnant mothers to determine whether or not their child might possibly be born with some sort of disability with the mindset that if the mother should choose that she does not want to bring into this world a child with disability, that she can have that baby aborted. As the father of a daughter with multiple disabilities, both physical and intellectual disabilities, I am appalled at that action. It, it bothers me and it bothers, it should bother you that we live in a society that says some human life is more valuable than others. That is not how we should view any human being created in the image of God. So we must determine in our own minds that we value human life at every stage and in every condition. Does that mean we will suffer pain as a result? Yes. Life is going to be painful. It is hard to watch a child or even an adult, with that, for that matter, with disabilities struggle to live out their lives. But it is to the glory of God when we value So we've got to determine in our own minds that we value human life at every stage and in every condition. We've got to support those who are fighting those fight actively, like Chris who came up here earlier, and Lifeway Ministries and Life Choices Ministries who are operating right here in our, in our own community to be advocates for life, to offer ladies who are in crisis pregnancies the hope of Jesus and a support system to bring their child into this world. We've got to support them financially and support them with our prayers and support them with our volunteering. We need to vote. We need to vote for pro-life candidates. I don't care where you stand on any other issue. You can, you can, your politics are your politics, but we are talking about human beings created in the image of God. I know it seems futile at times, but change is happening and more change is possible if we keep voting. So we need to pay attention to that issue. But those are all outward responses. I'm giving you outward responses. There is an inward response that we also need to have. I said that I had two goals. The first was to encourage conviction that abortion is, appall is an appalling offense against both God and man and that we should stand against it. Now I want to move on to my second goal, to point us to the gospel. The message of the gospel which tells us that we all need God's mercy and that for that reason Jesus came to save us. 
if that first part of this message was hard for you to sit through because of your participation in abortion, I've got really good news for you today. The good news is that Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. He died for that sin. He died for every other sin. There's no one here that can stand as your judge because we're all guilty. We are all guilty of sin that deserves death. That's why Jesus, Jesus offers this, this lifeline of hope to those who have fallen into grievous sin. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin, including abortion, but not just abortion. Because for all of us, the verdict is the same. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The truth in God's eyes is that we all deserve punishment. Listen to these words from the New Testament. 1 John 3.15 Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John just said, if you hate your brother, you that that sin is enough to keep you from eternal life. And then James says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Just one sin is enough to make us guilty and deserving of God's wrath and punishment. But the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to die in our sin. For that reason, Jesus Christ came and He took upon Himself the penalty of our sins so that we could be saved and we could be forgiven and have eternal life regardless of what sins we've committed. And so we shouldn't fear honesty about our sin. I think there are certain sins within the church that it's shameful to admit you've committed. Perhaps abortion is one of them. I want to remove the shame today and say, if you are suffering silently because you have somehow participated in abortion, that I want you to know that Jesus' grace and mercy is for you. And that He loves you. And does He love you. Can I just speak to, to the ladies in the room for a minute? I, I hate to use a human example in referring to God's love, but allow me for a minute just to say, as the, as the dad of two daughters. If one of my daughters were to rebel against me and go off and get involved in all kinds of horrible things and live a life contrary to everything I've taught them and bring shame to my name and rebel against me and, and just break my heart in every way and yet were to call me their sin and say, Daddy, I want to come home. Man, there isn't a wall I wouldn't tear down to admit. There isn't anything that would get in the way of me going to get my daughter and bring her home. And if you're here today and you feel like God couldn't possibly love you, He couldn't possibly want you back. I just want to tell you, he's a lot better today than you are. 
He's a lot better of a daddy than anybody in this world, but he loves you. He wants you to be loved. He wants to wipe away your tears and forgive all of your sins and help you process everything that you've gone through in the context of his life. And I just want you to know that, ladies. And men, the same is certainly true for you, but I just wanted to speak for a moment to the ladies. See, we can't be afraid of honesty about our sin because when we realize the depth of our sin, we realize the love and the grace of the Father. The more honest we are about our sin, the more amazing grace becomes. The more we're willing to be real before God, the more He's going to be real to us. Let me give you this, this, this illustration as an example. How many of you have ever committed uh, a traffic violation, maybe rolled through a stop sign or got pulled over for speeding and you got caught? Raise your hand. All right, if you're lying, I'll give you another second. Go ahead and raise your hand. Well, I can think of two times I got pulled over for speeding in the last 10 years. And the first one, by God's grace, was a, 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 state, a, a, a state trooper who goes to our church. <laughs> And he walked up to my car, and as soon as he saw me, he goes, oh, man, you're good. And he turned around, and he went back to his car. I was like, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's great. And I, I emailed him uh, later that day, and I said, hey, I, just, I know I was speeding. I just want to thank you for your grace. And I just want to let you know I appreciate that. Right? The next time I can remember being pulled over for speeding was two days after that. Stop judging me. That time I got pulled over by a captain of the same police barracks. And can I tell you how afraid, I, and he uncovered, uh, to my shame, he uncovered, uh, there was an issue with my registration. It was an honest mistake, uh, but there was an issue with my registration that required I correct it and go back to the state police barracks. And the whole time I'm going in there, I'm like, man, I hope Jeremy's not here. The guy that pulled me over two days earlier, like, I hope he doesn't see me. Can I tell you, you know, his grace towards what, in my opinion, was a minor offense. And you can disagree and be legalistic and beat me up after the service. That's fine. His grace towards a minor offense was appreciated, but it obviously didn't change my life. It didn't even change my behavior, did it? I mean, I got pulled over two days later. But imagine a completely different scenario. Imagine for a minute that, that I did something far worse than that. I'm going to, uh, I know, perhaps. This is a little bit graphic, but imagine I, I committed murder. Imagine I murdered a whole family. Mom, dad, and children. For some reason, I just, just went crazy and I, I broke into somebody's home and I, and I killed the whole family. It's much far different than being put over for speeding. Right? Imagine I, I, I go before court, the, the court, and I'm obviously guilty. The judge looks at me and says, you know, according to the evidence, you've committed this crime. And you need to die for what you've done. But that judge said to me, here's what I'm going to do instead. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to die in your place. Imagine if I went and I, I witnessed that judge's execution Imagine sitting next to his family and people who loved him and watched him die for him. 
do you think there would ever be a day in my life when I wouldn't wake up and say, I don't deserve to be here? And be grateful for that man who gave me life? You see, the only difference really in, in, in those two scenarios is when, when we come before God, I think so often we look at our sin as if uh, we were just speeding, no big deal. He probably should have just forgiven us anyhow. I mean, what's the big deal? When in reality, it's a lot more like that second situation. When we really get honest about our sin before God, we realize we, we deserve the penalty that He put on Jesus Christ. That should have been me. And I think when we when we realize that, we don't just walk through life as if we've been forgiven a speeding ticket. We walk through life as if I don't deserve to be here. Get, life is a gift given to me by one who took my place, who stood condemned and was executed on my behalf. And that's why I say don't be afraid to be honest about your sin. If you try to make your sin just a little thing, then you're never going to appreciate the gift of salvation. But if you see yourself as you truly are, then suddenly you are free to live a life of gratitude. A life that has been changed by amazing let me read to you one more passage of Scripture and then I'm going to close. Romans 8, verses 1 through 5 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. I was reading this morning. I just happened to have a, a home in a Christian Bible. And, it, and it's, it said this a little bit differently. It said, Condemnation no longer exists. And I like that. It helped me, helped me understand the strength of these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be in us who walk not according to the flesh what is the righteous requirement of the law it's life for a life it's complete satisfaction of justice by a holy God who has been sinned against by rebellious people and that has been satisfied that righteous requirement has been met in Christ Jesus you need not bear the penalty or the guilt of your sin and mine. Jesus has died in your place. Come to Him for mercy. Come to Him for forgiveness. Father in heaven, if there's anybody here who needs to come to you for forgiveness, who needs to come to you for salvation, make it abundantly clear to them right now in this moment by the work of your Holy Spirit how much you love them. Let them know that they were created by you to be with you. That sin need not separate them any longer. That Jesus has satisfied your justice Wrap your love and arms of grace and mercy around them. 
out if there's anybody whose whose soul is seriously wounded by the effects of abortion. God, they need healing and they need brothers and sisters of Christ around them who can help them walk down that pathway toward healing. I pray that you give them boldness to reach out to somebody this week and say, would you help me discover God's grace in this situation? I've done something I can no longer live for. And I need Jesus. God, for all of us, help us to see our sin as serious as it really is. An infinite offense against an infinitely holy God. We deserve what Jesus received on our behalf. So help us to live with gratitude every day, knowing that this life is a gift from you that will carry on into eternity. And help us to fight for life in appropriate ways. Help us to stand and to be a voice of reason in the generation that has gone absolutely insane and thinks it's okay to kill babies for the sake of convenience. God, help us to share the love and mercy of the gospel with those people too. And to not view any man as our enemy, but to spread the love of Christ far and